I'm a New Yorker. I know how to take on an arrogant con man like Donald Trump that comes from New York. Are you sure about that, Mr. Mayor? Are you positive? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's. AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel. Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for special coverage of the Wednesday night SmackDown debate in Las Vegas. Uh, we got a lot to get to today, but I do need to start here before we get to the debate. <laughs> some, well, I'm going to say some unsurprising news, but I think the unsurprising news is still to come. That said, Trump loyalist and ally Roger Stone was sentenced on Thursday to more than three years in federal prison following an extraordinary move by Attorney General Bill Barr to back off his Justice Department's original sentencing recommendation of seven to nine years after the longtime self-described GOP dirty, trick dirty trickster was found guilty on all seven counts of lying to Congress, obstruction of the investigation into whether the Trump campaign coordinated with Russia to tip the 2016 election, and witness tampering, all found guilty late last year. Bill Barr's unprecedented call to lower the sentencing recommendation for Stone came after Donald Trump called the recommendation a miscarriage of justice on Twitter, leading to all four career prosecutors working on the case to resign in protest, one resigning from the DOJ altogether, and all uh, resulting in a rule-of-law crisis that is now shaking, rotting the DOJ from the inside. U.S. District Judge Court, uh, Court Judge Amy Berman Jackson, who had been repeatedly attacked on Twitter by the President of the United States in recent days, said that Stone's crimes demanded a significant time behind bars, but she said the seven to nine years originally recommended by the Justice Department was excessive. 
Stone's lawyers had asked for a sentence of probation, citing his age of 67 years, his health, his lack of criminal history. I should say his lack of getting caught in his criminal history. Instead, he drew just 40 months. That's about three years, four months. The judge very generously delayed execution of the sentence while she considers Stone's motion for a new trial, even as she angrily denied from the bench during the sentencing on Thursday that Stone was being punished for his politics or his allies. Quote, he was not prosecuted, as some have claimed, for standing up for the president. He was prosecuted for covering up for the president, the judge said. Stone is now the sixth Trump aide or advisor to be convicted of charges brought as part of special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation. But we will not spend too much time on that today, as I suspect, A, it'll be covered well elsewhere. Uh, We've also got a hot mess of a debate to discuss. And most importantly, I suspect that Trump will be pardoning his corrupt, felonious criminal crony at any time at this point. For all I know, it could happen before the end of today's show or before many of you even hear it. But it is almost certainly coming as our unparalleled rule of law crisis in this country deepens under this president, all of which underscores yet again the absolute critical national imperative of removing Donald Trump from office as soon as possible. And to that end, boy, howdy, uh, was it a debate on Wednesday night at the Paris Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas ahead of Saturday's much anticipated caucuses in Nevada. It was a slugfest, in fact, where pretty much all six of the invited candidates went up against pretty much all of the other candidates in ways that we have not yet seen in a 2020 Democratic presidential forum. It was Warren versus Bloomberg right out of the gate and then Warren versus most everyone else a bit later and Klobuchar versus Buttigieg in a slugfest, Joe Biden against the world. And it even included the former uh, Republican, Mike Bloomberg, who essentially bought his way onto the debate stage at times, referring to the Democratic Party uh, as uh, revealingly I should say, as they or them. As Washington Post summarized the smackdown in its lead on Wednesday night, former New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg suffered a punishing welcome and Senator Bernie Sanders was bludgeoned with criticism as an animated cast of rival candidates spent Wednesday's presidential debate scrambling to stake their claims against the two rising contenders in the Democratic race. The result was an urgent two-hour free-for-all that sizzled with animosity, said the Post. New York Times reported it this way, The Democratic presidential candidates turned on one another in scorching and personal terms, with two of the leading candidates, Sanders and Bloomberg, forced into the, onto the defensive repeatedly throughout the evening. In his first appearance in a debate, Bloomberg struggled from the start to address his past support for stop-and-frisk policing and the allegations he has faced over the years of crude and disrespectful behavior toward women. 
Time and again, Mr. Bloomberg had obvious difficulties countering criticism that could threaten him in a Democratic Party that counts women and African-Americans among its most important constituencies. Two candidates who have shied away from direct conflict in the past, Senator Elizabeth Warren and former Vice President Joe Biden, mounted something of a tag team onslaught against Bloomberg several times, leaving him visibly irked and straining to respond. And from AP, from the opening bell, Democrats savaged New York billionaire Mike Bloomberg and raised questions about Bernie Sanders's take-no-prisoners politics during a contentious debate that threatened to further muddy the party's urgent quest to defeat President Donald Trump. Oh, great. The ninth debate of this cycle featured the most aggressive sustained period of infighting in the Democrats' year-long search for a presidential nominee, said AP. Here are some of the highlights of the debate night brawl in Las Vegas, as AP headlined it, just in case you missed them. I'm a New Yorker. I know how to take on an arrogant con man like Donald Trump. I'd like to talk about who we're running against. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. You should also ask how Mayor Bloomberg in 2004 supported George W. Bush for president. The mayor says that he has a great record, that he's done these wonderful things. Well, the fact of the the matter is he has not managed... city very, very well when he was there. My colleague specifically asked you if you could name the president of Mexico and your response was no. You're literally in uh, part of the committee that's overseeing these things. Are you trying to say that I'm dumb or are you mocking me here, Pete? I'm saying that you shouldn't trivialize I made an error. Next question is socialist in the country happens to be a millionaire with three houses. What did I miss here? Well, you'll miss that I work in Washington, House one. That's the first problem. Live in Burlington, House 2. That's good. And like thousands of other Vermonters, I do have a summer camp. Forgive me for that. Where is your home? Which tax Which tax haven do you have your home? New York City, thank you very much. We shouldn't have to choose between one candidate who wants to burn this party down and another candidate who wants to buy this party out. If speaking to the needs and the pain of a long-neglected working class is polarizing, I think you got the wrong word. I've apologized, I've asked for forgiveness, but the bottom line is we stop too many people and we've got to make sure that we do something about criminal justice in this country. I make a lot of money. They'll be out in a few weeks and uh, that's just as fast as I can do it. He has gotten some number of women, dozens, who knows, to sign non-disclosure agreements, both for sexual harassment and for gender discrimination in the workplace. We have a very few Non-disclosure agreements. How, how many Let is me that? finish. How many is that? None of them accuse me of doing anything other than maybe they didn't like the joke I told. And let me just po- and let me point. I just want to be clear. Some is how many? And and when you and when you say they signed them and they wanted them if they wish now to speak out and tell their side of the story about what it is they allege that's now okay with you you're releasing them on television tonight Senator no. is that right Well that was friendly 
the uh, the critical campaign is now about to quickly intensify even more so with Nevada voting on Saturday. Those 75,000 votes have reportedly already been cast in early voting there. It's a pretty huge number. Considering that in the 2016 caucuses, the uh, total turnout was only about 86,000, though they did uh, not have early voting that year. So uh, we will see if that results in any small amount of confusion this Saturday, which I expect. South Carolina's primary follows next Saturday, February 29, with more than a dozen states hosting Super Tuesday primaries just three days later after that on March 3rd, with about one third of the delegates needed to win the nomination at stake. So, yes, there was much at stake on Thursday night in Vegas, and it showed. Author Mark Harris tweeted, quote, this is by leagues the best Democratic debate on one important front. All six of these people are representing exactly who they are. The Daily Show tweeting about the pummeling that Mike Bloomberg was taking from all sides said, quote, this is the worst night for a billionaire since Bruce Wayne's dad walked down that alley. And of course, the highest authority my own mother, when I spoke with her this morning, said she could not believe the nastiness right out of the gate, telling me that she never likes to see unpleasantness like that. Of course, when I asked her if she watched the whole thing anyway, she said, oh, you bet your life I did. Joining us today to make sense of whatever the hell happened in Vegas, which is uh, unlikely to stay in Vegas, I think, is, of course, our haggard yet happy producer, Desiree Doyen. <laughs> Am I at least half right in that description, uh, yes, Desiree? Yes, half right, indeed. Okay, good. Also back with us today, we are delighted to have Jody Jacobson, who is now an independent writer, editor, and fundraising consultant. Oh, I better talk to you later, Jody. Um, <laughs> until recently, she served as editor-in-chief of rewired.news previously she helped shape u.s and u.n policies on a number of uh, on a number of issues serving for 13 years as founder and executive director of the center for health and gender equity otherwise known as changed welcome back ms jacobson i suspect you're happy about how your candidate performed last night but we, <laughs> but we will get to that in a minute and I, just so everyone knows, you've been uh, qu quite proud and loud on, on the Twitters about your candidate being yeah. uh, Elizabeth Warren, correct? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I haven't outed you there. Uh, we are similarly delighted and honored to be joined again by the great David Bender. He's the political director of the Progressive Voices Network, where he hosts Stand and Be Counted, focusing on issues of democracy after a five-decade career as a political activist, reporter, and documentarian. He was also uh, Air America Radio's first political director, where he co-hosted a show with some lady named Rachel Maddow, uh, who described him as her per, uh, political guru. Uh, but I, uh, uh, well, I won't hold that against him. He also author, recently co-authored The Dean, a biography of the late Congressman John Dingell of Michigan. I won't hold that against him either. Uh, hey, welcome back to the broadcast, Mr. Bender. It's always nice to have things not held against me right when i 
right when I join you. It's it's a pleasure to know the baggage. <laughs> there you go. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, now, the person who I believe is still your candidate was not on the debate stage last night, if I am guessing correctly, but we'll get to that soon enough as well. Let's start uh, big here, as usual, before we drill down a bit, uh, though this all may be big today, given what it seems like. We are now working with here, which is uh, a horse race debate policy damn near went out the window in uh, in many respects. Jody, as I said, you've been quite public about your preference to date on Twitter as a, a big Elizabeth Warren fan. Uh, now, are you, are you actually working on her campaign in some way or are you just a booster? No, at this not point? at all. Not okay. at all. And, you know, I, I think it's more accurate to say that I am a very strong progressive and, of course, I support Mm-hmm. Uh, progressive policies and politicians. I, I happen to um, support Elizabeth Warren particularly, but I also support Bernie. And, well, I was going to say, if she was to drop out uh, tomorrow, do you have a plan B? I guess the plan B is plan Bernie. Yeah. I okay. mean, I, I, I just think, I, I just happen to think that as an effective legislator, and um, I just think she has a really effective uh, process and plan and knowledge about how things work and how to get them done. And uh, without necessarily getting into any of the candidates for the moment or how they did one way or another, w- w- what did you make of what I, uh, and I think pretty much all, everyone else in the world, has been describing as an all-out brawl in Vegas on Wednesday night? Is that me? Yeah, that's you. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i a little shocked at everybody being sort of having vapors over this. I think <laughs> it was past time. <laughs> I think it's past time. I mean, for crying out loud, you know, like we're we're facing climate existential crises of so many kinds. Mm-hmm. We're facing a true threat to our democracy, which is being dismantled daily. And you talked about, you know, Roger Stone and other things earlier. But mm-hmm. we've got climate crises bearing down on us, and you know, rapidly accelerating problems there. Um, and I just am not clear why people don't think we should be angry and we should be fighting hard. Mm-hmm. And I felt like finally last night people were fighting hard because, I mean, I'm on the record as saying this, I don't think any so-called moderate is going to address the problems we face and, and, and kind of pretending that someone who's got some incremental plan that doesn't really change anything is going to fix any of the problems we now face is, to me, head in the sand politics. So I was glad to see people really putting it on the table last night, finally. Um, it, uh, because, it, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, are people, no. are, are, are people uh, concerned about, uh, you know, those big policies, um, not because they're worried so much about the policies themselves, but because they are worried that someone with these big revolutionary policies may have more trouble getting elected than someone who is a little bit more moderate, you know, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, Biden, even Bloomberg, take your pick. Me, again? Yeah. So, I, um, obviously, people are influenced by what they hear. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what they hear is from corporate media and pundits on corporate media who, you know, use words like radical, far left, all this stuff. But when you think about it, a lot of the things that are being talked about now are things we already have that have been eroded over time. I mean, Mm. I went to a land-grant college. I 
you know, I was able to have very low tuition for an excellent education. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things have eroded to the point where now with my kids, I mean, you know, I saved since they were born to send them to college and still have to take in money every year. Mm. So, and they both go to the same university that I went to. And Mm. it's not just an inflation thing. It's, you know, so, I mean, my point being that we are trying to get back to a place, I believe, where we were before the right wing and so-called census Democrats started dismantling programs that supported people and enabled them to move forward in their lives. Certainly, Mm -hmm. there were tremendous disparities by race and ethnicity, no question, and we have to fix that. But I don't think these things are radical. In fact, the polls show they're not radical. Mm -hmm. So I think that what's happened is that the, you know, the sort of um, privileged classes are very nervous about tax um, increases mm-hmm. and any of their wealth being being um, tapped to help for the rest of the folks yeah. out here. All good points, and you're right, because I live out in California, the uh, California public education system, uh, college used, used to be able to go to UCLA for free exactly. if you lived in exactly. California. David Bender... Well, first, uh, let me get your thoughts on, on, well, let me get your thoughts on what, what Jody said and the idea of, you know, whether a knockdown brawl like the one that we saw in Vegas last night, whether that engages Americans or whether that turns them away. Well, uh, let's start with the fact that I went to UCLA and it wasn't free. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, moving on from there, and that was a long, long time ago in the words of Don McClain. But it did uh, used to be free, did it not, uh, David? Well, it, it, even for in-state, it was not completely free. It was lower, but it, but the, okay. let's not, let's not stay on college tuition. Let's stay on the fact that what I saw in this debate is uh, a very very happy Donald Trump, and that is uh, just as Jody said. We're facing an existential threat to the country, and what we got to deal with it is a circular firing squad. I've been doing Democratic politics all of my life, mm-hmm. been every convention since 1968. And let me say that this is absolutely par for the course when Democrats get to a place where they're trying to take one another out and forget that there is something much larger. I watched this going back to uh, the tattoo on the back of Roger Stone. Richard Nixon mm-hmm. got elected because Democrats could not put their enmity aside between Eugene McCarthy, Bobby Kennedy, and Hubert Humphrey. And we got six years of Richard Nixon. We got an extension of the Vietnam War. We learned nothing from history. In fact, we learned nothing from five minutes ago. (laughs) Uh, You're quite right, by the way, Brad, that while we're talking, Roger Stone and that Nixon tattoo could get pardoned. Right. And these are existential crises which were not addressed. No matter how much there may have been some, you know, schadenfreude watching Mike Bloomberg get taken down Mm -hmm. after all of his hundreds of millions of dollars. By the way, if you're looking for money for fundraising right now, call Bloomberg. Yeah. Because he's fired a whole bunch of people. Uh, You know, we won't ever see their their carcasses, but they've been thrown by the road for letting him on that stage. Really? It was political malpractice for him to be on that stage. But, Uh, but David, uh, since you're... 
saying that Donald Trump is the happiest person there. Uh, was he less happy when the Democrats were more friendly, were not going at each other uh, directly, were speaking more about their policy plans? Uh, is is that what you would have preferred to see? Or are you holding the uh, moderators at fault here for not raising uh, anything about this very serious uh, DOJ crisis that is ongoing right now? Well, well, I'm not holding either the moderate. I'm holding everyone at fault for not Good. addressing that constantly. Okay, and we're, we're in complete agreement on that. But let, let me come back to my point about political malpractice. Mike Bloomberg is not on the ballot in Nevada. Mm-hmm. He's not on the ballot in South Carolina. Uh, he qualified only because the DNC changed the rules. Tom Perez should be out of a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in fact, anyone advising Michael Bloomberg who has been gaining ground with attacks not only... uh, In fact, he has not attacked his fellow Democrats. He has been consistently attacking Donald Trump. That's very effective. Mm -hmm. I'm glad he's been spending that money. He's making a strong case that'll benefit whoever the nominee is. But once he put himself on that stage, uh, at a time when he's not on the ballot, it was unnecessary. It It was a choice that he didn't need to make. I think a lot of it was his own hubris honest mm-hmm. uh, he thought you know I can I can stand next to any of these people and he he hadn't debated since 2009 and he wasn't good then yeah but he what had should it, have David, happened is he yeah. should have been off stage continuing to do what he's been doing very effectively which is make the case against Donald Trump but he was going to I have to come on to the uh, uh, debate stage at some point Jody let yeah. me let you respond to that well I I so first of all, I think we're really schizophrenic about when we talk about this election because everybody runs around saying that we need to beat Donald Trump, but we need a candidate that can beat Donald Trump. But what we saw last night are candidates vying for the position of being able to beat Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And we now know that Mike Bloomberg, for many reasons I could have told you before last night, is ill-equipped to beat Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, for all his billions of dollars, He's a really bad candidate in this moment. And let me tell you something. If it was such a disaster, um, Elizabeth Warren wouldn't have raised $5 million since the beginning of the debate debate till this morning. Um, It was not a disaster. It really brought people a clear idea of what, A, it's going to take to defeat Donald Trump, and, B, also what we need to do to fix the problems that brought us Donald Trump. Because... Trump is a symptom of a fascist GOP party that has been ongoing for decades. And I, I really think we need to realize that the, the GOP tore itself apart in 2016, finding a nominee, and yet we got Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I do not think Democrats making clear the very real differences between them and the very real important issues that exist between them is a bad thing. I think it's healthy, because we do have this debate in the party, and the party tends towards thinking if they could just find somebody that makes everybody happy, you know, they'll win. But actually, people that make everybody happy don't actually make everybody happy, and they don't drive people (laughs) to the polls. David, you got a response to that, or shall I play some audio and and get your thoughts uh, wrapping it in? Oh, let's play some audio. Okay. Uh, because I want to, uh, this is a clip that uh, I suspect most people are seeing here today uh, from Elizabeth Warren right out of the gate. Well, let's uh, let's play this and then uh, we'll get some thoughts. 
like to talk about who we're running against. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. <laughs> Democrats are not going to win if we have a nominee who has a history of hiding his tax returns, of harassing women, and of supporting racist policies like redlining and stop and frisk. Look, I'll support whoever the Democratic nominee is, but understand this. Democrats take a huge risk if we just substitute one arrogant billionaire for another. So, uh, David Bender, uh, you know, I think in this race right now, it seems to me, at least, people are less interested in policy specifically and in who can defeat Donald Trump. Elizabeth Warren got a whole bunch of money, as Jody said, after making that remark and others like it at the debate on Wednesday night. So isn't that the sort of thing that voters actually do want to see an example of uh, from these folks of, of how they might take on Donald Trump directly? Amy Klobuchar raised a lot of money uh, after her debate mm-hmm. prior to New Hampshire. If if these are the metrics, then look, look at the amount of money that Donald Trump has in the bank. Mm-hmm. He's been raising since January 20th of, of 2017 when he was sworn in. He has more money than any of us can dream of, and that's only the money that we see, not the money or the rubles that we don't see. And if this is the metric by which we judge the effectiveness of someone to go up against him, uh, we're not even playing the same game. It's Little League Baseball versus, you know, uh, Major League Pitching on Steroids. And and it, it frightens me to think that we're having a conversation that looks to the past, looks to anything even before yesterday, where uh, as if that can predict the future. We are not in an election. We're in a war mm-hmm. with an enemy that is completely ruthless, mm-hmm. that has now taken over the Justice Department, let alone uh, the FEC, let alone anything that might regulate uh, political practice. He's going into every state that we're in. He's drawing huge crowds uh, in non-contested uh, elections to, to turn out and tune up his own get out the vote operation. He has the power of the federal government behind him. Mm-hmm. This, no one seems to understand that if we look to past elections, even 2016, and say this is what we're going to be up against this fall, uh, we might as well just phone it in. Okay. It's did not business as usual. And, and, and I hear you, David. And I, and I appreciate what you're saying, and I share your concerns, your fear, your uh, terror, uh, perhaps, about what could come. What I'm not hearing is, what would you have preferred to see? What direction should these folks be going? Should uh, a Michael Bloomberg, uh, A, uh, you suggested take a pass on this uh, last debate, but he's certainly got to get in. But then thereafter, because he's a billionaire and he's got so much money, should the Democrats have gone soft on him, for example? to allow him to win the nomination because he's the only one who could defeat Donald Trump? Uh, What exactly are you after? I'll tell you in this specific situation what I would have recommended, which is there's the debate that just happened. There's another one uh, prior to South Carolina. He's not on the ballot in any of them. Right. They're already voting in in the Super Tuesday states, which, as you point out, will reflect a third of the delegates that are going to get chosen. Mm -hmm. He's going to win a lot of those delegates. We know that. He's going to cross the threshold. He's leading in a lot of those states 
that are already voting. Uh, Bloomberg? You're talking about Bloomberg? Bloomberg. Okay. I'm talking about Bloomberg. Okay. So once that happens, once he's had a chance to say, yeah, the voters have heard my message, they've been watching these spots, he's been out campaigning, he's been in all those states. Once that had happened, then yes, I think he has to take the stage with the remaining candidates. I think Super Tuesday is going to winnow the field. Some of these people will not be on the debate that follows Super Tuesday. Then, then I think it would have been appropriate. That's that's a specific answer to your question. Then it would have been appropriate point. to do what? To attack him at that point, as opposed to uh, right absolutely, now? Absolutely, because okay. then he would have had a chance. We would have seen our voters responding to this message. Okay, but fair this enough. Is an but abstraction that, right now. That, is, but, but, but fair uh, enough. He he did get in the race. He was at the debate. He has been uh, spending uh, almost four hundred million dollars, and he has been mm-hmm. rising in the polls with it. So that is the reality. So I'm not sure how uh, any of these candidates should have dealt with uh, with, with him differently. Jody, you wanted to get in on on that. I, I mean, I, I don't even understand that unless what you're saying is that it's okay for someone to come in and buy the election. Um, basically, this morning, I'm hearing, and I've never said that money raising was the only indicator, but if we're saying that the amount of money you can spend to buy votes without having to campaign or having to answer questions or sit for interviews is okay, then the amount of money you raise has got to be some kind of indicator. Otherwise, you're kind of saying two things on, you know, that contradict each other. But the bottom line is I'm hearing from lots of folks in South Carolina, for example, and other places that, and this is among the black um, and Latina communities, that, quote, unquote, my dad, my mom, and my brother, who were all going to vote for Bloomberg, are now voting for Warren. So, I mean, I just think that, Bloomberg, because the Democratic Party acts like it's afraid of its own shadow at any given time of the day, Bloomberg, you know, came in and everybody thought he would be the savior. Most of us who are in progressive politics know he's neither the savior nor the right person to be Trump. That was pretty much shown. And I think anyone that comes into an election process should have to face the voters in a debate. So whether or not he's out there buying votes, why should we allow him to accumulate delegates without ever having to face a test of his actual campaign skills and credibility in front of voters? I don't even understand that. Yeah, and David, i got to get to a break here, uh, but I, I, I don't want to just leave this hanging because we've already gone in a different direction than I had planned, which is fine because I think Sorry. it's an interesting conversation <laughs> to have. But... I, I, I think I joined Jody here in being unclear. Essentially, do I understand it correctly that you're saying that Democrats should move aside for Bloomberg, that he would have the best chance of uh, winning the nomination and taking back the White House? Is that what you're saying without no. saying it? No, not right. at all. That's all right. not what I'm saying. Right. And and you know what? It, it, is, a, it is a longer question. Uh, I do think he has shown the ability uh, through being willing to put his resources up, and he has said, we'll see, and frankly, all of the candidates have basically said how great it is that he's willing to spend money to elect not only the next Democratic president, but the U.S. Senate needs to flip, and he's been putting money into that. All of those candidates have embraced that part of his effort, and should he not be the nominee, uh, it'll be very interesting to see, leaving Bernie aside for a moment, whether or not they're going to want his money spent independently to help 
beat Donald Trump. We'll, we'll find that out. All right, let me uh, let me do this. Let me play two quick clips before we get out, uh, so that I don't. This is uh, clip number three here. This is former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg. He's still uh, struggling in the at least the national polls, even if he's currently leading by just one controversial Iowa delegate vote uh, in the national delegate count. He took on both Sanders who now enjoys a double-digit lead in the national polls, and he took on Bloomberg, who, as we've been discussing, has bought his way to uh, this uh, polling surge before Wednesday night and to his appearance in uh, Vegas. Here is a Buttigieg in, in some of his opening remarks. We've got to wake up as a party. We, we could wake up two weeks from today, the day after Super Tuesday, and the only candidates left standing will be Bernie Sanders and Mike Bloomberg, the two most polarizing figures on this stage. Let's put forward somebody who actually lives and works in a middle-class neighborhood in an industrial Midwestern city. Let's put forward somebody who's actually a Democrat. Look, we shouldn't have to choose between one candidate who wants to burn this party down and another candidate who wants to buy this party out. Look, we can do better. Senator. So uh, someone who's actually a Democrat, that remark may be rough politics, but I think it's fair game if we're talking about uh, former Republican, then independent Bloomberg uh, and Bernie Sanders, who's never declared to be a member of the Democratic Party. And by this party out, I think is also fair against Bloomberg. But uh, does Bernie Sanders really want to burn it down? Here was uh, Sanders response uh, punching back at Mayor Pete. We are giving a voice to people who are saying we are sick and tired of billionaires like Mr. Bloomberg seeing huge expansions of their wealth while a half a million people sleep out on the street tonight. And that's what we are saying, Pete, is maybe it's a time for the working class of this country to have a little bit of power in Washington rather than your billionaire campaign contributors. uh, All right, look, first of all... So they were all punching. Let me take a quick break here. We will come back with my guests Jody Jacobson and David Bender uh, to hash this out some more as we uh, try to figure out, as I said, as we try to make sense of whatever the hell happened in Vegas. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Democrats take a huge risk if we just substitute one arrogant billionaire for another. Leadership is about what you draw out of people. It's what uh, it's about how you inspire people to act. And I have an idea of how can we move can us forward. stop sexism on the internet. We could nominate a woman for candidate uh, for president of the United States. I'm the only one on this stage that's actually got anything done. That's right. Let's get real. So the facts are I was the there. Let me finish. Here. Thank you. Uh, Let's talk about the major policies. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Our special coverage of the rollicking debate in Las Vegas on Wednesday night, which seemed to me 
Um, both in Vegas and uh, just the debate nationally seems to be coming down more and more to who can beat Donald Trump. Uh, as noted, uh, Bernie Sanders is skyrocketing in national polls right now, double-digit leads over his competitors at the moment. But as I always point out, we do not run national elections in this country. We, we run state-by-state elections. Uh, if, if we didn't, then Hillary Clinton would now be our president. Jody Jacobson and David Bender are both here with me. It's, it seems like it is now less about policy, more about electability. Uh, guys, uh, to that end, Bernie Sanders is now getting quite a bit of heat for being less than transparent, uh, according to his critics, about his medical condition. That point was raised in Vegas this way on Monday night. Senator Sanders, when you were here in Las Vegas in October, you were hospitalized with a heart attack. Afterwards, you pledged to make, quote, all your medical records public. You've released three letters from your doctors, but you now say you won't release anything more. What happened to your promise of full transparency? Well, I think we did. Let me tell you what happened. First of all, you're right. And thank you, Las Vegas, for the excellent medical care I got in the hospital two days. I think the one area maybe the Mayor Bloomberg and I share, you have two stents as well. All right. 25 years ago. <laughs> well, we both have two stents. It's a procedure that it's done about a million times a year. So we released the full report of that heart attack. Second of all, we released the full, my whole 29 years in the Capitol, the attending position, all of my history, medical history. And furthermore, we released reports from two leading Vermont cardiologists who described my situation. And by the way, who said Bernie Sanders is more than able to deal with the stress and the vigor of being president of the United States. Hey, follow me around the campaign trail, three, four, five events a day. See how you're doing compared to me. <laughs> uh, Jody Jacobson, uh, folks that I've heard from uh, who are not necessarily Bernie haters uh, are worried about a 78-year-old man who just suffered a heart attack going through the, you know, the rigors of a presidential campaign and, of course, the presidency itself. One uh, woman uh, who I spoke with about this who's also an older lady herself, uh, she told me she's very concerned that he could become the nominee and drop dead before the election. Is that uh, is that fair and or is his uh, lack of release of medical records here a, a fair concern? Look, I have really complicated feelings about this because... Oh, they're no more complicated than David's. Don't worry about that. No, no. I mean, I think it's very legitimate for people to see medical records. In fact, I think the DNC should not allow any candidate on any debate stage unless they release their taxes and their medical records before. Mm -hmm. I I really don't. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we have to restore transparency in our government. That requires people to step up and make clear what they are running on and what they hold and their health and all that sort of stuff. I, you know, there's a delicate balance here for Bernie because, first of all, he's extremely vigorous, obviously, from what he does, but Mm -hmm. we have a right to know what his medical status is. Um, I think the problem that ended up was, in some ways, a self-own, because I always say this, 95% of life is expectations, and if you set the expectation that you will provide other records, Mm -hmm. and then you say you won't provide other records, it makes it seem like you might be hiding something, A, and B, and I know a lot of people argue with me about this, and friends have argued with me about this, I also feel like it sets the stage for us not being able to criticize what the GOP has been doing 
which is gaslighting us all on what they will do or what they say they'll do and then not doing it. Mm. And even in very small ways, I think we have to be better on all fronts. So I do think it's legitimate that people ask questions about health of every candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know, you know, you know, um, Paul Songas, I think, is an example of somebody who was young and had cancer, came back. I mean, we don't know, but mm-hmm. and you will never know, right? You never know when someone's going to have an aneurysm. It just happens. It could be a 45-year-old person. But my point is, I think it's a legitimate question. I'm not sure there's anything that Bernie is hiding, but I think what happens is when you say you're going to give out additional records and then you don't, mm-hmm. you create your own problems. And um, and I think it's analogous in some ways, not quite exactly analogous, but in some ways to Hillary not coming clean about the pneumonia. I mean, for God's sake, why didn't you say, I have pneumonia, I'm going off the trail for two days, instead of like trying to pretend everything was okay, which then again feeds into conspiracy theories. So I think it's okay to ask for it, but I think there's a little bit of self-owning here. David, I want to ask you about uh, this exchange between Bloomberg and Warren in a second, but uh, do, do you want to get in on uh, on the Bernie Sanders uh, question here? Uh, well, it, it, the last time someone said, come follow me around, it was Gary Hart. Yes, right. Uh, and that didn't work out too well. Right. Uh, you know, it, it, I, I agree with Jody completely that if you set the expectations, if you say you're going to do something, you ought to do it. Bernie isn't doing it, and that's a self-inflicted wound. It's unnecessary. But all of this is a distraction. It's a distraction. We, we have the most criminal, uh, the most dishonest person ever to occupy the Oval Office by a factor of a million. And instead we're talking about, as I say, a, a circular firing squad of accusations that are only going to weaken whoever the nominee is. We heard Elizabeth Warren, who we're about to hear again, say she will support whoever wins the nomination, including Michael Bloomberg, at a time that we are absolutely devastating whoever that nominee might be. Bloomberg, Warren, Sanders, all of this, setting it up for Donald Trump to say, hey, see what they said about each other. That's what bothers you me about this You don't think he was going to do that anyway? You don't think I, that yeah, we're... Of course he was going to do it. Why are we giving him ammunition? Why are we doing that? We don't need All to of that debate should have been about Donald Trump. Well, wasn't that a function, though, of what the moderators were doing and the moderators <laughs> essentially asking those questions and directing the candidates to fight each other rather than... Haven't, haven't you watched Donald Trump? We saw it with 17 candidates in 2016. Whatever the moderator said was, the moderator said was irrelevant. You can set, take a question and simply then pivot and say what you need to say. And what should have been said is... A point Brad made at the outset, that we have a crisis uh, crumbling uh, of, of our judicial system and, and of the integrity of, of uh, jurisprudence right now is literally in the moment that they were on that stage was under attack and no one addressed it. And anyone could have brought it up. Okay, and I think that's a fair criticism, David. Uh, that said, I'm not sure that uh, you know, I, of course, I'd, I'd be fine seeing a, a, a two-hour, a three-hour, a ten-hour-long debate about what Donald Trump has done wrong and why he needs to be removed from office. But I'm not sure that that question even needs to be made right now. It seems to me, at least, to be patently obvious. The larger question being, who can then bring that case uh, not just to each other within the Democratic Party, but to the American people? Who is best suited? 
among the Democrats, uh, you know, to, to, to raise that flag and to bring that fight to Donald Trump. To that end, still sticking on the topic of transparency here, which, by the way, I really appreciated in, in this case from the uh, from the moderators. Uh, Bloomberg was asked about several employee uh, sexual harassment complaints from women in the 90s. Uh, he made uh, he comments reportedly referring to women as pieces of meat, claiming I do her, etc. He denied a hostile workplace. He cited his record of hiring many women, paying them the same as men, claiming his company was voted uh, one of the best places to work in the nation. But he did, in fact, settle an unknown number of, of lawsuits with women, including non-disclosure agreements, which uh, Elizabeth Warren raised in this exchange with the former New York City mayor. I hope you heard what his defense was. I've been nice to some women. <laughs> Mr. Mayor, are you willing to release all of those women from those non-disclosure agreements so we can hear their side of the story? We have a very few non-disclosure agreements. Uh, how many Let is me that? finish. How many is that? None of them accuse me of doing anything other than maybe they didn't like the joke I told. There's a be agreements between two parties that wanted to keep it quiet, and that's up to them. They signed those agreements, so, and we'll live with it. So wait, if they wish now to speak out and tell their side of the story about what it is they allege, that's now okay with you? You're releasing them on television tonight? Se Senator, no. Is that right? They decided when they made an agreement that they wanted to keep it quiet for everybody's no. interest. Come on. We are not going to beat Donald Trump with a man who has who knows how many non-disclosure agreements and the drip, drip, drip of stories of women saying they have been harassed okay. and discriminated against. That's not what we do as Democrats. Jody Jacobson, uh, setting aside even for the, the, the moment, you know, the, the, the attack there on, uh, on, on Bloomberg himself, isn't Elizabeth Warren there demonstrating how she would take on the president of the United States, which David Bender seems to be suggesting should at least be a, a top priority here in these debates? That's my take. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, that's my take. I, look, I... look. So Mine too, by the way. Uh, we we agree yeah. completely. Uh, all right. Okay. Go ahead, Jody. No, I was just going to say, so much of what Trump did in the last election was mm -hmm. to paint false equivalencies, and and also some true things, right? Like people are upset about certain things that have been happening or not been happening, but in our environment, everything becomes flat. So you know, when you have an incident. Um, and then you have a pattern. People don't discriminate between the incident or the pattern. So tr Trump could take the incident and make it into a pattern and then say, see, everybody does this. Mm -hmm. And the problem with Bloomberg is that he does do all the same that Trump does. So, like, how is it that, you know, people are going to say, well, I'd really rather fight for Mike Bloomberg because he's such a much better, you know, moral character for my kids or whatever. Um, obviously, he's not the same as Trump, but his views really stop and frisk, his racist views, his xenophobia, his Muslim surveillance, so many things he's done are not very different than Trump. And we need a very different candidate and one that has 
a moral core. Um, and that's just my feeling. And I think she's demonstrating that. I got to get to a break and one more big topic that I want to fit in in just a very few uh, short minutes in that uh, final block here. But, David, I want to give you uh, the final uh, response on, on this, these thoughts. It, again, we're in agreement. She was very effective. I thought uh, she showed that she could make the points that would be great if there were a level playing field, if we were talking about an election as we have in times past. Wait for Pocahontas to return. Now, that was a oh, when we forgot about it. It's yeah. coming back, yeah. and, and, and that, again, is the problem. All of this ammunition, all of the stuff that people have either done to themselves or, or, in fact, we're doing, we're watching them do to each other, is fodder for the, the Trump juggernaut that is locked and loaded and ready to fire. And unfortunately, I don't see anyone right now, uh, anyone who is going to be able to take that case all the way through the fall and turn it around on Donald Trump. I wish I did. And that's what we'll talk about after this uh, break in our closing few minutes. We'll have to be quick about it. Uh, speaking with David Bender and Jody Jacobson. Of course, Desi Doyen is here somewhere, as am I, Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. My thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi Doyen and I stay on your public airwaves. You're the only one that keeps us here. Thank you. I think the senator mentioned 2050 for some data. No scientist thinks the numbers for 2050 or 2050 anymore. The 2040, 2035, the world is coming apart faster than any scientific uh, study had predicted. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, in our last few minutes covering Wednesday night's uh, debate in Las Vegas ahead of the Nevada caucuses this Saturday with my special guests Jody Jacobson and David Bender. Uh, there was some actual substantive policy conversation of a sort concerning climate change. You heard uh, Mike Bloomberg there talking about it a little bit. I hope we will be able to talk in detail about that in a show ahead about the conversation from that debate. Yes, we're going to go climate. we're going to go in depth and geek out on the climate portion of the debate. All so. right, Desi will be here geeking out. Yep. Uh, near the end of the debate, however, uh, Chuck Todd suggested that uh, no candidate was uh, likely to get the nearly 2,000 delegates needed to wrap up the nomination before Milwaukee. He asked each candidate uh, whether the person with the most delegates going into the convention in Milwaukee should be the nominee. Sanders was the only one to say yes, as it looks like he will likely have the most uh, delegates, at least as of this moment. Things are quickly changing. But I think it was a fair question, and I wanted to get both of your thoughts on it. Let me start with you, David Bender, because I think you may have a completely different person in mind than anyone who is even running right now for the Democratic nomination. Well, my view is simple. Uh, no one is going to get a majority, as Chuck Topps' question pointed out. And four years ago, let's point out that Bernie had the opposite view, that the convention should be allowed to decide. So that's why the superdelegates are now, because of that, uh, situation in 2016 are voting only on the second ballot. They represent a sixth of what's needed, the 1991, to nominate someone, mm -hmm. to go over the top. I don't think anyone gets that on the first ballot. We haven't seen this since 1952. Uh, I wasn't, well, maybe I was alive. I'm pretending. Here's, <laughs> yeah. here's the truth. Yeah. Uh, 
because it's going to go to the second ballot, we know, in fact, that all those superdelegates, elected officials, former elected officials, the last thing in the world, optically, you want is for them to come in and say, we're going to give it to an establishment candidate. We need to unify this party that will be badly ripped apart by the time we get to Milwaukee. There's no other way of looking at it if no one has a clear-cut majority. So who unifies the party? In my view, it can't be any of the people who are running right now simply because they will have been cut to pieces. Uh, there, you know, So many people will say they can't support Bernie, and if it's not Bernie, the Bernie folks won't support anyone else. So who you got? Who can, I got to get out. Who Sorry. can unite the party? There's only Well, there are a couple people. But the most likely one, uh, if she answered the call, is Michelle Obama. And that is a genuine draft. That's, that's what's happened in the history of politics, a draft for a nationally unifying figure. Second to Michelle Obama might be Stacey Abrams. There you Someone go. I got everyone could agree on. I I have to wrap up with that uh, titillating, two titillating ideas there actually uh, that we'll uh, perhaps need to return to uh, David Bender uh, very quickly to uh, Jody. Uh, your thoughts? Uh, should the person going into the uh, convention with the most delegates be the winner? Keeping in mind, by the way, that if it's you know Bernie Sanders with forty percent of the delegates, that means sixty percent of the delegates and sixty percent of the voters did not vote for Bernie Sanders. Yeah, I think if it's a plurality and not a majority, then I think we, I, I don't necessarily think that should be the case. That we should do some bargaining and or uh, find yes. a unity candidate like, yes. a, how do you like the Michelle Obama idea? Well, Michelle Obama has said she does not want to run. I think we have candidates, you know, right now who are, I, I, I don't know, I don't like this speculation very much because I think we're in the middle of a primary and I think that we tend at one and the same time to say that we should focus and then we get to focusing on unknowns and I, I don't like to play that game okay fair enough i like to play all the games and i thank you for <laughs> all for joining us for them today uh jody jacobson you can find her on the twitter a very lively twitter feed at jl jacobson uh you can find david bender over at progressivevoices.com thanks to you both for joining us today fascinating conversation that I suspect we will be continuing. Also, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That's made possible by those of you generous listeners, thank you, who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. See you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman, and I mean it. Good luck, world.